Well, good morning, everyone. Testing, testing. Can you hear me out there? Hey, we are so glad all of you are here today. You know, the wonderful book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and verse 25, encourages us not to forsake the assembly. Whether you're assembling with us today live as you are here in the auditorium, or whether you're visiting with us online, either as a member or as a visitor, we are so glad that you chose to obey that command and to be a part of our worship services here at West Irwin. As always, let's start with a song, and if you feel comfortable in doing so, and it's not a problem, we encourage you to stand while we sing two verses of Come, Let Us All Unite to Sing.
I want to convey what Michael said, that we're glad you're here this morning. We want to welcome you uh, back anytime we're here assembled, which is Sunday mornings right now. And uh, we're, hopefully that will end soon. I mean, we miss seeing faces. Uh, we know you're watching online, and we appreciate that, but it's really good to be together as a church family as a whole, actually in a building. And uh, I know that's not what the church is made up of, but... It's really good to see faces, uh, smiles, masks, even. So we're just glad you're here. Uh, I do have a couple of updates on our announcements. Uh, former West Irwin youth minister, David Lovejoy, uh, has passed away. Uh, that was basically due to the coronavirus, so we want to keep that family in our prayers. And also, Mackenzie Fennel uh, has an upcoming exam on, on a cosmetology test, and she wants us to pray for her and her friends uh, that goes well. I'd like to read from Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Holy God and Father, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in our dear Lord Jesus Christ, how can we ever Thank you enough for the amazing grace and mercy that has been showered down on all your children without measure. We thank you for the precious blessings that you pour upon us each and every day. Lead us in a way that would have us to go, that you would have us to go, and may all glory be given to you, for you alone are worthy of our praise and worship. We pray that our worship to you today will be pleasing to you and uplifting to us. We ask for your protection in these hard times of hatred, despair, hostility, and strife. We pray for hope, love, peace, forgiveness, and understanding in this world. We thank you for your unconditional and everlasting love towards us. May we grow more and more to be more like Christ. Guide and teach us in all that we say and do. And may we all be in accordance with your will. Loving God, we pray that you will comfort us in our suffering. We have many diseases in this world that are taking lives daily. Please give skill and knowledge to the minds and hands of our physicians and bless the means used for healing our sick. Give us confidence in your power and your grace that even when we are afraid, we put our whole trust in you through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for this church family here at West Irwin, and we pray that we can soon be back together as a whole in this building to worship you as we once did. To continue the works outside these walls, to spread your word and help those in need. Lord, we pray for those on our prayer and care list. We lift up Sharon Ketchum, Joyce Allen, Sue Carty, and Kathy Huddleston. We pray for peace and comfort for the families of David Lovejoy and Esther Gottberg. And we also pray for Mackenzie Fennell and her upcoming exams that she has with her classmates. We pray for our ministers and our staff and their families. We pray for our schools as they reopen. Please give the government and school administrators wisdom to make decisions that will help keep our families safe and healthy. Please continue to watch over our ministry programs and our missionary programs. Please guide the deacons and elders of this church that we may make decisions that align with your will. 
Thank you for our home in heaven when we pass from this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. thing today is Callie Huff's birthday, so let's all say happy birthday to Callie. Uh, we certainly love and enjoy your presence. You bring, bring us great hope and joy. Thank you. thinking about the word mercy, especially as it relates to the Lord's table, I uh, couldn't help but also include the word compassion because I believe compassion is necessary for, for mercy. In the Bible, mercy is extended to an offender in the form of forgiveness or to the suffering in the form of healing or other comfort. Compassion, we all have a portion of. Some of us are more compassionate than others. So compassion to me is a very personal thing. I can have compassion for my brothers and sisters. 
for those who don't have clothing or shelter, who may live on the street. I can have compassion for those that are on the forefront fighting for our freedom and our safety that may never know or see our faces. Have compassion for, especially in these times, folks in leadership who have to make difficult decisions and the folks that those difficult decisions may affect. So compassion is necessary for mercy. However, as God's people, we have a limited amount of mercy that we can provide. Forgiveness, we may be able to forgive someone who sins against us. Against us, However, we cannot forgive their sins. Only God can do that. This is why we need to remind ourselves each week and gather around this table that he sent his son out of his mercy and out of his compassion to die for us. I'd like to read from 1 Peter 1 and 3 through 5. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your love, your mercy, and your compassion for those of us who did not deserve it, for sending your son, for his body hanging on the cross, for his suffering so that we might have hope of eternal life. As we partake of this bread representing the body of your son, may we do so in a manner pleasing to thee. In Christ's name. Shall I pray? Merciful Father, along with the body of Christ was his blood that was shed that continually cleanses us. And through your mercy and your grace, we have the opportunity to seek that everlasting life and to be washed snow white by the blood of Jesus. May we partake now of this fruit of the vine in a manner pleasing to thee, we pray through Christ. Amen.
the conclusion of Lord's Supper, we find it appropriate to have our collection each Sunday. No, we're not actually gathered around the table physically this morning, and we're not actually passing trays. There are those who have given already, those who have given this morning, those who are given online, those who mail in their contributions, and we see that there are those right now that can't give at all. We see those at this point in time that can only give a portion of what they once gave. And we see those that are able to give even more than they once did at this time. And this is one of the ways the church functions as a body, one part compensating for another. And we're so thankful for all our blessings. Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for our jobs, our livelihood, for the opportunities we have to not only feed ourselves but take care of others, to pass our blessings on to others that are not so fortunate. The joy of giving is truly in the heart of those who give. And the blessing is to all of us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would continue to bless us. Pray for our nation. Pray for our society, for more love, more compassion, more forgiveness. And at this particular time, Heavenly Father, we pray that you bless our giving and may it be used to further your cause. We pray through Christ. Amen.
We've sung a lot about the love and grace and mercy of God. We've talked about that love and that grace and that mercy, that compassion, as Matt shared around the table, and the blessing that that uh, brings us. As we go through this uh, series of lessons on the Lord's Prayer, looking at Matthew chapter 6, last week and this week are connected. Last week's message on Savior leads to this week's message on mercy. We are reminded of the great saving grace of God, seen in Jesus Christ our Lord, the sacrifice that was made for us. And last week we focused on that, on God as Savior, on Jesus saving us from our sins. And we were reminded that 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 is possible. When we pray that prayer, asking God to forgive us of our sins, we realize that because Jesus died on the cross for us and was raised from the dead, that actually is possible. And so there is an answer to the question, what must I do once we are convicted of our own sinfulness? Again, there is an answer to that question. And that is the response of faith, to believe in that one who died for us and that he lives again and that he's coming back, to turn away from a life that is geared towards sinfulness and change that, repent, and make that a life that's geared towards unselfishness, serving our Lord and serving one another. Uh, We're called to confess that faith so that others will know this is something we feel in our hearts. And then we are called to be baptized, to be buried with Christ through baptism into death so that we can be raised to live a new life, not a perfect life, not a sinless life, but a life that we can live in faithfulness to the one who died for us. That's the message on Savior. Last week's message on Savior leads to this week's message on mercy. Because Jesus has tied those together. So much so that the first one is based on the second one. And as challenging and as difficult as that sounds, that is what Jesus said on a number of occasions, including this statement in the Lord's Prayer. So a couple of things today about mercy. Jesus' teaching on mercy in the Lord's Prayer comes in two parts. It comes in two parts, according to Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. The first part is what we looked at last week, forgive us our debts. And we talked about that term. In verse 12, that's the term that's used. Later, it's the term for sins. Luke uses a a different term uh, at times. And so... It's forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins. That's the first part of Jesus' teaching on mercy, asking God for his mercy towards us. And he answers that prayer with a yes through the blood of Christ. However, he doesn't just leave it at that. Because the second part of Jesus' teaching on mercy in the Lord's Prayer is this, as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we also have forgiven our, those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And our first response to that is, yikes, <laughs> ouch. Because it's much easier for us to pray for God's forgiveness of us and our sins than it is for us to offer forgiveness for those who have sinned against us. And yet one of the things that sets Christianity apart from everything else is this point today. It is that our forgiveness is tied to our forgiving others. And that's not just in this section, but as you see from all of the scripture passages on your handout that we'll go through some of in just a moment, they are tied together. And they are tied together by God. They are tied together by Christ himself. They are tied together by God's word. Our shepherd David Hammond in our shepherd's prayer time spoke of that unconditional and everlasting love that God has for us and then prayed that we would be more like Christ and have that kind of love for others. And one of the hardest things about having that kind of love, I believe, is being able to forgive. To forgive those who have wronged us. To forgive those who have sinned against us. Jesus' teaching on mercy in the Lord's Prayer comes in two parts. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so secondly this morning, this is the only part of the prayer on which Jesus actually commented. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not. As I said at the beginning of this series, uh, we have not heard a lot of sermons and classes, I think, in Churches of Christ on this prayer, on the Lord's Prayer. And we talked about that for various reasons at the beginning of this, of this study and mentioned that we pray for God's kingdom to come, not the way it came in Acts chapter 2 as the church began, but that the kingdom would come in the lives of people, that they would come to know Christ, that those who do know Christ would come to know him better and be closer to him. When those things happen, the kingdom comes today, and we pray for that. And so this is a very appropriate prayer, um, a prayer that Jesus gave us as a model prayer, a prayer that decades after he died, after the church was established, Matthew and Luke included in their gospels to the church. As an example and a model and teaching from the Lord on how to pray. But it's interesting to me that as you read through this prayer, there's only one part of it on which Jesus comments. And it's not the fact that God is our Father. It's not the fact that his name should be hallowed and all of these other things that are very important and vital. It's this one. Being willing not just to receive grace and mercy, but being willing to give it. 
It's this point that Jesus comes back to before he ends this prayer. And so after speaking these words and then talking about what we'll talk about the next couple of weeks, praying that God would lead us not into temptation, I'm looking forward to that lesson and the difference between temptation and sin, and and then praying that he would deliver us from the evil one, that he would uh, help us to find that way out that 1 Corinthians 10 talks about so that we can stand up underneath it. But then he comes back in verses 14 and 15 to this thought. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. Verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that's when I want to say, Jesus, couldn't you have left well enough alone? I mean, it was bad enough in verse 12. And now you come back to it and you make it undeniably clear, just in case we didn't quite understand how important that was. (laughs) And he not only says it in the positive, he says it in the negative. That if we do forgive others, God will forgive us. And if we don't, then he will not. That makes it pretty serious, I think. And I want to say today that this is something that is absolutely critical for God. Absolutely critical. That we forgive those who sin against us. And we say, well... But Bill, you don't understand. They treated me so badly. They hurt me so much. I know. And we're going to talk about a few forgiveness myths in just a moment. But if they hadn't sinned against us, then there would be no reason to forgive them. And so by saying, I, I, I find it difficult to forgive because they sinned against me and hurt me, is to state the obvious. If that were not true, there would be no call to forgive. And that's what makes this hard. That's what makes it hard. And we focus in on how much someone has hurt us rather than focusing in on how much we have hurt God and yet he has forgiven us. And it doesn't mean that our sins were not significant to God. They were significant enough for his son to be sent to die on the cross. And it doesn't mean that those who have sinned against us, that how they hurt us is not significant, simply because we choose to forgive. For if, you, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matt shared during that, communion meditation about uh, the forgiveness of sins and the compassion uh, that we are called to live by. And interestingly enough, in Matthew 25, it says we will be judged by exactly that. That parable that Jesus tells, that story of, of those who saw someone in society who was in need and answered that need. Jesus says, when you did that, you did that for me. And And for those who will be lost, he says, I was there and you didn't help. And they said, when did we see you? And he says, 
Well, when you didn't help one of these least of these, you were not helping me. And in that story in Matthew 25, that's the deciding factor between sheep and goats, between right and left, between saved and lost. But here in the Lord's Prayer, there's another deciding factor, and that is whether or not you forgive others. In this model prayer and in other teaching of Scripture, that is the deciding factor of how much mercy God will show to us. And it is how much mercy we have chosen to show to others and it is a choice it is a choice it is a deliberate action that takes deliberate effort and it is not easy it is not easy but it is absolutely critical it wasn't easy for god either This is not the first time Jesus speaks this message in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, verse 7, in the Beatitudes, remember? He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Receive mercy. Who is it that receives mercy? It's the ones who give it. It's the ones who are merciful. In Matthew chapter 18 is this uh, story that Jesus tells, and, and it's interesting how how that story begins and ends. Remember, it's the story about this man who owed a a huge amount of money, an impossible amount to to pay back, and, and he was about to be thrown in jail, and he pled for mercy from the man that he owed all this money to, and the man forgave the debt. And then as he's walking out, he finds someone that maybe just owes him a few months of wages, and And he tells him, pay it up, and he won't do it. And so he has him thrown in jail, and he refuses to be merciful. And of course, that's a story that's going to be told. And the man that he owed the money to, the huge amount of money to, impossible to pay back, heard about it and had him thrown back in jail. And it's interesting to me how that story starts and ends. Because in Matthew 18, verse 21, it's Peter beginning that story and calling uh, Jesus to tell it by asking him, how many times do we have to forgive? And Jesus, in answering that question, doesn't answer that question. <laughs> he says, you just, you just keep doing it. And then when he ends that story in Matthew 18, verse 35, it's with these ominous words, as that wicked servant was treated... By that master to whom he owed all that money. Jesus says, that's how my father will treat you if you do not forgive others from your heart. That's a serious, serious statement. And then I want us to read a couple of verses from James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James, the half-brother of the Lord, shares these words in James 2 verses 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Again, James saying the same thing that Jesus had said. Judgment without mercy, verse 13, will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. 
And I, I don't think that we get that. I think that we feel somehow or another God's going to forgive us anyway. And let me say, we're not going to do this or any other command of God perfectly. And so, yes, we are going to be treated with mercy and thank the Lord. But it doesn't give us permission to not put out that effort and to not commit ourselves to fulfilling this command. It is commanded to forgive others, not just commanded to forgive others. Our forgiveness, the forgiveness that we want from God is dependent upon that. How could it be any more important? How could Jesus state this any stronger? Mercy without judgment. Is what James and his half-brother Jesus call us to do and to offer. And how merciful we are will be the key to how merciful God is to us. We're reminded of the second greatest commandment. It's mentioned a few times in scripture, including Mark chapter 12. Where Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment and the answer is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it and you know what that one is, to love your neighbor as yourself. And you've heard me share this before but I always think back on where those commandments came from. The first and greatest commandment from Deuteronomy 6 and other places. The second one, love your neighbor as yourself from Leviticus 19.18. Remember, they asked for the greatest commandments in the law. And so we understand that both of those, the two greatest commandments according to Jesus, are found in the law. That's where they began. And that second great command, to love your neighbor as yourself, yes, it is in the law. (laughs) And it is found in the book of Leviticus of all places, in Leviticus 19.18. But it's not there by itself. There's a context. I think it applies to all contexts, but when it was originally given, it's this context. Do not hold a grudge against one of my people, but rather love your neighbor as yourself. The second greatest commandment, according to Jesus, given specifically to contrast with not forgiving someone. Because that's the definition of holding a grudge, refusing to forgive. Other passages are listed there, and I want us to consider a few others. In Matthew chapter 5, there at that great, great chapter that begins with the Beatitudes and ends with this incredible statement that calls us to be perfect, to be complete, to be mature. Just as our Father is, it's found in that last part of Matthew 5 that begins in verse 38, which says, love your enemies. (laughs) And again, this is one of those things that separates Christianity from all other religions. Just like in the old law, it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. Jesus says, I'm turning that on its ear. I'm telling you to love your enemies and pray for them. And don't pray that they'll get hit by a truck. (laughs) I don't think that's what he's saying. That's kind of what we want. 
Pray that good things will happen to them. Pray that God will bless them. Pray that they will become closer to their creator and be saved. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Why should you do that? Because that's how God has treated you. And that's how he treats this world. That golden rule in Matthew 7, verse 12, also in the Sermon on the Mount, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others the way you would like to be treated. I don't think there's a single one of us who would say, well, I hope that all the people that I have wronged never forgive me. When Jesus called Matthew, as you know, to be an apostle, he held a party at his house, and being a tax collector, only the reprobates in society would show up along with Jesus' disciples. And the religious leaders of the Jews were close enough to see what was going on, and, and they said, why are you cavorting here with sinners? And Jesus quotes from Hosea chapter 6, you need to go read your Bible and remember what it says. I desire mercy not sacrifice. Doesn't mean sacrifice is not called for and important it is. It just means that without mercy it is judgment without mercy. Jesus lived this before he ever commanded it. In Luke chapter 15 we read that story of the loving father and the prodigal sons and yes I said prodigal sons because there were two as you know. There was one who went to the far country and then came to himself and came back and in humility and penitence threw himself at his father's feet and his father forgave him. And when the older brother came in, he couldn't believe it because he hadn't forgiven him. And he certainly didn't want his father to forgive him. And when we refuse to forgive those who sin against us, we're not in there at the party with the brother who came home and the loving father who forgave. We are sitting on the front porch pouting with the older brother as if we had never been forgiven anything ourselves. And then the most incredible statement on forgiveness is seen in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. From the cross, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. As Matt shared, and he's exactly right, it is only God who can forgive people's sins ultimately and judge them eternally. And save them or condemn them. So did those people, because Jesus prayed to the Father to forgive them, did they receive forgiveness? That is something that only God can answer and will answer. What it means is that Jesus let that go before he died. He gave all of the ones who had committed such a horrible, horrible injustice and brought such pain and suffering and cruelty physically and emotionally to Jesus Christ, an innocent man, the only innocent person. And what he did was he said, Father, I'm going to let you deal with the ones who have hurt me. And that's what he said. And 
that's what he did. A few years ago, I've been here a little over five years, so that means that I can't, because I'm 63, I can't remember what I've said and what I haven't. So I have to, you know, if Terry, if my, if my email and Word docs, if, if I lose all of that stuff, y'all are just going to be hearing the same stuff week after week, because that's the only way I know what I said. But I remember a few years ago, I preached a sermon on forgiveness, and I talked about forgiveness myths. Because I think it's these myths that keep us from forgiving. It's these things that we tend to believe that aren't true that cause us to not want to forgive or at least to not put out the effort. And I won't list all of them, but a few of them, first of all, is it wasn't a big deal. If I forgive them, then that means it wasn't a big deal. That is not true. That's a myth. It was a big deal. You were hurt. You were wronged. And that is just as big a deal as how you have wronged others. And yet God has forgiven you. And so by offering up forgiveness does not mean that it wasn't a big deal that you weren't hurt. Another myth is that the relationship has to be restored. If I forgive that person, then we have to go on life as if nothing ever happened. That is not true. That is not true. We don't do that in a business arrangement. You can be wronged by somebody and taken advantage of and and actually have suffered extortion from somebody and, and make a conscious decision to forgive them and then make another conscious decision to never go into business with them again. And that's okay. <laughs> you don't go into business with everybody, so it's a conscious choice. It's all right. A woman who has been battered and bruised and beaten up by an abusive husband struggles with this, I think, more than anybody I've ever talked to in my life, and I've talked to several of them. And because they are women of faith, they come to me and they say, doesn't God want me to forgive? Doesn't, am I not supposed to forgive? Because what my abuser is saying is that if I don't go back to him, then I haven't forgiven him, and that is not true. It's not true at all. Those are two different issues. You don't marry everybody. You choose who you're going to marry. You make a conscious choice. And so in that situation, she makes a conscious choice to forgive him and let him and his God work that out. And for her sake, she says, but you won't be working it out with me. We don't necessarily restore relationships simply because we have forgiven. Sometimes, maybe. Sometimes it can be done. Not all the time. And then the last myth I'll share is that God forgives them. And it's something we have mentioned already. Simply because you or I forgive someone does not mean that God does. Doesn't mean that at all. He might. He might not. Guess what? That's up to God. You've heard me say before, and I shared with our college young adult Zoom class the other night, that I've come to believe two things about God. One, that God exists, and two, that I'm not him. And that's a very liberating thing. And so for those who have sinned against me, I don't have to decide if they're going to be saved or lost because of that. All I can do is say, but I'm not going to let you have such a negative impact on me in my life because of what you did to me. I'm going to choose to forgive. 
And what God does with it is up to God. And I'll be okay with that, trust me. And so another scripture to look at. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 31, this great slide that expresses this thought from the Apostle Paul who knew what it was like to be the worst of sinners and knew what it was like to be forgiven. He writes this in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, you're forgiving someone else doesn't start with you and it doesn't start with them. It starts with God and what God did in your life. And what he did in your life is he forgave you. And that's where it starts. And so when we start there, then we look out on those who have sinned against us and we're more inclined to be, to work on forgiving them as well because God in Christ has forgiven us. We're more inclined to live that life of love because God in Christ loved us when we were unlovable. And now he's called us to follow that example. In Romans chapter 12, we are to overcome evil with good. And not try to seek revenge. We want to seek revenge, but instead we turn that loose and we turn it over to God. And again, what Paul is saying there, the fact that you don't pour burning coals on their head in Romans 12, does not mean that God won't. It just means that you've decided to let that choice be his, not yours. You have decided to seek to overcome evil with good rather than with more evil. Unlike the world. And in 1 Peter 2, that great passage where Peter talks about the compassion and the mercy that Jesus had. And how he calls on us to have that same, looking back at his example, he makes this incredible statement in 1 Peter 2 verse 23. When he says this, Jesus was willing to do that was willing to offer those words from the cross, Father, forgive them, because of what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 23, when he says this, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. What Jesus, the Son of God, did is he entrusted himself and his vindication and the forgiveness of those who were sinning against him, he entrusted those things to the Father, and we are called to do the same. And until we do that, we will never be able to forgive. When Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit, that was everything, including what was happening to him at that moment. We are called to do the same. Well, as we close, four things that happen when we refuse to forgive. What happens when we refuse to forgive? These are not myths. These are the truth. <laughs> These are things that really happen if we choose to, ref- to refuse to forgive. Because again, it's a choice. It's a choice. Maybe it's a hard one for you. I get that. It's harder for some than for others. I get that. But it's still a choice that we are held accountable for. 
And so if you're into being responsible for your own life and your own decisions, you're responsible for this one, whether or not you choose to forgive. Well, what happens when we refuse to forgive? Number one, when we refuse to forgive, we give away our forgiveness. That's kind of what I've been preaching about all morning, isn't it? That's what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. And in all these other passages, when we refuse to forgive, we give away our forgiveness. And that, the list could stop there and we could sing and be done and that would be fine. Because that's so significant. Number two, when we refuse to forgive, we give away our power. Our college young adult group is going to begin studying a book by Amy Morin that we studied a few years back in the adult class on Wednesday night, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. I love that title. And number two on her list is this one. She doesn't word it this way, but refusing to forgive. Mentally strong people don't do that. Why? Because when they do that, they're giving someone else their power. When we refuse to forgive, we give away our power. She quotes Dale Carnegie, who said, When we hate our enemies, we are giving them power over us, power over our sleep, our appetites, our blood pressure, our health, and our happiness. And that may be why Jesus comments on this one and not the others in the Lord's Prayer. Because of how much it affects our physical, emotional, and spiritual health. When we refuse to forgive. Number three, when we refuse to forgive, we are punishing ourselves for someone else's sin. (laughs) When you put it like that, you're thinking, well, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard of doing, to punish yourself for what somebody else did. That's exactly what we do when we refuse to forgive because it doesn't affect them at all. But it eats away at us like nothing else does. And then number four, what happens when we refuse to forgive? When we refuse to forgive, we give away our joy. That great passage in Hebrews where in chapter 12, as he's talking about how Jesus gave his life on the cross, he said, for the joy set before him, he endured these things. Why? Because he refused to let what other people did to him steal his joy. And we can do the same. We can only do it if we're willing to turn it loose and turn it over to God and forgive. But we can do it. And what's more, we're commanded to do it. It's loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's treating others the way we would want to be treated. It's praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. This morning, if we can help you in this part of your walk with Christ or in any other, come as we stand, sing our song together.
have the opportunity to start our worship. We thank you for being present, and we thank those that are online for being present with us today. Those of you that are members that are online, just know how much we miss you, how much we love you. And as David prayed in his prayer, the shepherd prayer, how we long for a time when we're back together. All of us healthy and uh, excited. And so thankful for each of you being here. We're going to close with one verse of the song we started with. Come let us all unite to sing, and then we'll have our closing prayer. How happy is our portion here. Most holy.